Do you know what type of doctor you want to be? With over 160 medical specialties and the rapid pace of medical school, choosing your final path in medicine can be challenging. MedicMap is here to help. Each episode features an interview with a practicing physician across a broad array of specialties and backgrounds. Tune in to discover the insights these professionals have to offer and to get all the juicy details to help you map your career in medicine. Happy listening! Hi everyone, welcome to the very first episode of MedicMap. To start us off on our podcast, we begin with the concept of generalism and generalist medicine, but with a bit of a twist to show you that your career in medicine can really be what you make it to be. So on that note, it makes the most sense to have none other than Dr. Brendan Adams as my first guest. A bit about Dr. Adams first. He is an occupational physician here in Calgary and also a clinical assistant professor at the University of Calgary. He has been in practice for over 30 years and is certified by the Canadian College of Family Practice, as well as the Canadian Board of Occupational Medicine. Dr. Adams is an expert with addictions and aviation medicine and teaches addiction medicine across North America. Something super interesting about Dr. Adams is that he's also licensed as an instrument-rated commercial pilot, and he has really blended that component of his life into his medical practice. Guys, believe me when I say that I haven't even scratched the surface on the wonderful work that Dr. Adams has done over the course of his career, but I think it'll be best to hear from him. So without further ado, I welcome our guest, Dr. Adams, onto the floor. Hi, Dr. Adams. How are you? Hi, Sharon. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Would you be able to tell our listeners what you do now and what your current day-to-day job looks like? Sure. I'm just going to swing my computer a little bit so I don't have this halo light over my head. Um, My day-to-day job is actually really interesting. Um, My office is a hangar out at Springbank Airport, and it took me about 25 years to set that office up the way that I want it. And it's a specialty practice um, in not the College of Physicians and Surgeons use of the term specialist, as in FRCP, But in a generic term, I see pilots, largely airline pilots. Um, In Canada, pilots need medical certification to fly, all of them. So that constitutes the bulk of what I do. And then I run the addictions program for the Airline Pilots Association of Canada. And we're currently branching that out into a broader organization called Air Crew Recovery Canada, which will be for all pilots, both airline and non-airline. Um, in terms of addiction recovery. So um, a typical day for me would see me looking at maybe 15 pilots. Of those two or three will have specific medical problems that have taken them out of the air and meant that they can't fly currently. And we would need to deal with those. Um, And then a, a grab bag of other things. And then on certain days, all I will see are people who are in recovery from drugs and alcohol and uh, we'll be talking with my team with them about their recovery. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. Well, that's very cool. What do you enjoy the most about your job? I really love my job. Um, it's, it's designed to deal with a group of what I consider to be underserviced people. Um, it requires specialist knowledge. Um, I I honestly believe that it's very difficult for a physician to help a patient if they don't understand. 
Um, and sometimes that can be a huge challenge, like how does a male my age understand what it's like for a woman to give birth? So if I'm in obstetrics, I have to really work hard to understand her reality because it can never be my reality. Um, in the airline world, it's a little easier. I've basically been a pilot since I was 17. And so that's the other world I've inhabited most of my life. And they have concerns that are often highly technical in order to understand what went wrong or what their challenge is. You really got to understand what it is they do. And like most people uh, who lead very unique lives, they will pick up on the fact that you don't get what they do in about two nanoseconds. So you can't fake it. Uh, and they will tend to come back and talk to people who get it. Um, pilots tend to be a rather taciturn bunch. They're not deep into emotional expression. So you have to understand them as human beings. You also have to understand what they do and how it shapes them and what kinds of people are attracted to that work. So that's why I love it. I, you know, I'm with my peeps. Um, I'm not an airline pilot, never will be, but it's, it's fun to talk to them all day long about some of the specific challenges they're, they're dealing with. Hey, that sounds awesome. It sounds like you really enjoy the work that you do and it really fits in with who you are as a person as well. So that's really awesome. So how did you navigate choosing this career path? So like, tell us about what it was like in medical school and how did you transition into this particular field? Because I know you were doing some family medicine work first. So how did that happen? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to um, add one extra thing in at the start of that because it, it, um, it, it, functions as a, an impetus to do what I've done. It's been one of my discoveries in life that uh, doctors uh, need to reinvent themselves at about the 20 year stage. Um, I know a lot of doctors don't, but if you do the same thing day in and day out, uh, that's wonderful if you love it. It's very easy to get burnt out or stale uh, or, or just starting to, to mail it in. And that's when you begin to notice the quality of what you're doing slipping, your personal satisfaction in your career slips, uh, and that can lead to other bad things, job burnout being one of the, the things it leads to. So I love family practice and I really enjoy it. And I don't want anything in my remarks to indicate that I, I didn't like it. But by 20 years, I'd had enough of that. I was getting stale. Um, I found that um, my rota of patients, I, I'd done what I could for most of them. Um, I was supporting the ones that I knew I couldn't make better, which would be awesome. But still, I wanted to make more of a difference than I felt I was making. And this has always been an idea in the back of my mind because I started life as a researcher at University of Toronto uh, in human physiology and human performance been a pilot since I was 17. So those were interests that I had. And I saw how I could uh, in, increase those interests. And then through aviation medicine, which I started dabbling with as a part-timer in family practice, I discovered that there's this underservice group of pilots uh, who largely were alcoholic. And it meant the end of their career and very often their death. So that's hardcore medicine. That's, that's, you know, we're involved in sickness and death and preventing those things and making those things better. So I thought, awesome, here's a way to do all of it at once. So I went out and got more training in addiction medicine and eventually got board certified in America from the American Board of uh, Addiction Medicine um, and hooked up with the 
baby program that uh, the airline pilots were running at that time as their physician and found I loved it. Um, part, partly you can argue cause and effect, but if you're good at something, you tend to love it. And I think I was good at it and it was very rewarding. So I wound up doing more and more and more until in the year 2000 at about the 20 year stage of my family practice, I was able to A, have the money to open up my own office, B, uh, have the wherewithal to transition to full-time aviation medicine, addiction medicine. And so I did. And so that's sort of been the pathway through it. In medical school, what made you decide specifically family medicine? Was it something that drew you to it? What was it about generalism that was so attractive to you at the time? Well, you, you lot have my profound sympathies because, again, I was blessed to go through at a time when the world was your oyster and you could make really any choice you wanted to and you could change your mind. So um, honest, open truth, I changed my mind 20 times. Um, I got very interested in plastic surgery, um, not cosmetic surgery, but hands. I loved working on hands, loved general surgery. That was really exciting. Then I loved ICU and trauma surgery. And I actually applied to the emergency residency at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta. And I was accepted and I was going to go down there. Um, so I, I don't want to mislead anybody. I didn't have this laser focus at the start. And I began to realize, look, you want to do so many different things. You love pediatrics. Um, wasn't crazy about birthing babies. That was about the only thing that I really didn't uh, fulfill me all that much. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And psychiatry was, was quite interesting, especially outpatient psychiatry. So I, I was looking for something that combined all of that. And I thought, you know, dude, you really got to just smell the, the coffee here you're not going to do an FRCP in any of these things because you're interested in too many things. Uh, family medicine is the only thing that lets you do that and then customize where you're going from that. And looking back on it now, that was totally the right decision. I would have sucked as a specialist at anything because I would have got really stale and I'm really glad I did the way I did it. I'm also glad you went down this path because you don't usually hear stories about someone who went into family medicine and then completely switched into something like aviation medicine. Um, so I think it's really cool. And that's part of the reason why I was so excited to have you on this episode as well. One thing that I wanted to ask you about, because last time we chatted, we talked a little bit about the importance of your career path in fulfilling you emotionally as well as intellectually, but also we talked about financially. So we said it was really important that it fills you, it fulfills you in all aspects of these things. Um, with that being said, do you think that generalists are compensated well? And how does compensation differ from the public sector to the private sector, which you have experience in both? So what are your thoughts on that? We're, we're into it now, okay? Roll up your sleeves. Um, this is a vast topic. It tends to be somewhat uh, controversial. People have emotional feelings about it. I respect that. Um, so in no particular order, here's my thinking. Uh, at the end of my career, like I am, I'm in my, my late 60s. Um, it's interesting when I can remember a moment in medical training when I was 23 years old. And I remember this moment. One of the preceptors uh, who had graduated UFC 10 years before me, so he wasn't that much my senior, uh, had set up a beautiful clinic and I loved it. And uh, it, it, with the gaucheness of youth, I said to him, do you, do you mind telling me how much this costs you to do and how did you do it? 
I was genuinely interested. He could have well declined and said, you know, that's something I prefer not to talk about. Instead, he chose to insult me and say, don't worry, Junior, you'll get your choice. You'll get your chance. And I remember that to this day. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to be that guy. When some fresh-faced young doctor like you shows up in front of me, I'm going to give her the goods. I'm going to tell them what they need to know rather than put them down and say, poo-poo, go away and do your studies. And this is for another day. It's not for another day. It's actually a core part of good medical practice. Because one of my thesis is a doctor that runs a good, solid business, not greedy, not high profit, but a good, solid business-like approach to medical practice is going to practice good medicine. They're going to have enough time for the clients that they need to have enough time for because they budgeted it. They're not going to feel burnt out and overworked at the end of the day because they're trying to see too many people or do too much. Uh, at least they've got a shot at it. So how you run your business, I think, reflects on how you run your practice. Um, there's an unwritten rule that says that medical students shouldn't be told anything about business. We shouldn't talk about money. That's rude. That's sort of not done. And I absolutely disagree with that. So my advice to you, which I'll repeat for everybody, is first of all, do it backwards. You obviously have goals in life that you'd like. Um, we don't even need to know what those are, but let's just make up some. Do you want to own your own house? Do you want to travel the world? Do you want to work in different places? Uh, do you have a partner right now? What is their financial uh, goals in life? Uh, what kind of income, if any, do they bring in? Do they want to share it with you? Do they not? Um, are children in the in the future for you? There's yours. Um, what's your future like? Just break down these pie in the sky things. Do you, do you want to own a car? Stupid things like that. Do you want to own a house? Do you want to rent? What do you want to do? Work out a budget. How much is it going to cost you to do all that? You already know you're going to have X thousands of dollars of student loans. What's that going to cost you? These are all basic questions that you can answer. Work that all out and then come up with a number at the end of it. I need to have an income of X in order to do these things. Is the path your own way going to provide that income? Because if it's not going to provide that income, I'll tell you right now, you're going to start to compromise yourself because the bills have to be paid. Food has to be put on the table. Uh, if it's relevant, children have to go to university. What do your parents sacrifice for you to be here now? Anything? Maybe. Uh, could they afford that? How did they afford that? So these are all really profound life questions that every medical student has to think about and answer. And then that will reflect uh, in the future how they do what they do. Now, obviously, I'm an old guy. So I come from the fee-for-service um, model. And when I graduated in 1984 and started, I graduated in 81, but when I started my practice in 84, I was getting $23 per office visit. If you look at the fee schedule now for a primary care practitioner, an O303A, which is basically an office visit, is 30 something dollars, 36, $38. Okay, my Toyota truck cost $8,500 brand new. It's the first vehicle I ever bought when I was a resident. Uh, now um, I'm, I'm just buying another one that's $64,000. So you can see what that's done in my lifetime. And $24 to $36 has not kept track. So the simple economics speak for itself. So doctors all do pretty much the same thing if they're fee for service. Well, I'll just see more people. Yeah, no, you won't. But by the time you've seen 50 people in a day to drive that income up to something that's actually workable to run a practice, you're exhausted. You've practiced bad medicine. That's too many people. 
maybe you're not able to do what you wanted to do. So then people go, okay, well, let's get real and say fever service doesn't work. Let's go for a capitation model. I get so many dollars per patient per year. Okay, but at the same time, um, capitation models aren't the end all and be all. I've never worked under one, but I talked to my primary care uh, colleagues who have, and they say, well, you know, I, I get docked every time anybody goes to a merge or a walk-in clinic, etc. So the devil's always in the details. So I would advise you talk to people who actually work under these models now in your career, find somebody who's reasonable that will talk to you and find out the details, because if that won't work, you've already set out on a solution that's doomed to failure. So in terms of, of my world, I bill in the private world, uh, fee for service, a pilot medical costs 175 bucks. So that's what they pay. Compare that to an office visit, even if you say a complete physical, you know, 304A or something of that ilk, uh, 90 bucks. Um, I'm getting paid uh, roughly twice what a GP is paid, um, plus a fee for service if I do ECGs or audiograms or, or whatnot. So the income in a day means I can comfortably see 15, 16 people, do good medicine, take the time if I need to. If I need to book an hour with somebody, I can do that. I'm free to do that because I'm, I'm earning well doing what I do. Um, so these are all considerations that you need to make because they bear on your choices. It's not greedy. It's not capitalism. It's not saying I want to drive a Porsche and, and have a house in, in seven different countries. Because if you do, you're in the wrong place. Uh, you, you need to go make electric cars and spaceships in the United States. But you still need to know where your where your grocery money is coming from and how you're going to set about doing this. And doctors that are completely unbusinesslike tend to get themselves into bad practice situations. So that's my soapbox. And with the compensation that you're mentioning, something that we haven't even discussed is overhead costs as well, right? So there's things getting chopped off here and there with that also. So I think that that's something that we do need to openly discuss and something that we do need to make medical students and people who are pursuing these fields aware of. So thank you for being honest about that. I really appreciate that. So back to your field, um, what is the most challenging thing for you within your practice? What, do, what would you like to change, if anything? Um, interfacing with other organizations is always a challenge. You've got a patient, it's a one-on-one -on -one interaction. You know what your patient needs. You know what you're trying to do for them. And other organizations, whether it's AHS or in my world, Transport Canada, um, they don't know your patient and they don't care. So interfacing with bureaucracies can be enormously challenging. And if I were to change one thing, it would be to make those bureaucracies more responsive to the people allegedly that they serve because they don't serve them at all. They serve themselves, their power structures. Um, they put a good political face on what they do because the, typically they're elected or they're appointed by politicians. So they can't afford to make the electorate too angry at them. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of inefficiency and inactivity and it hurts real people. So I have people, I mean, do we have a shortage of flights in this country right now? Yes. Do we have a shortage of pilots? Critical shortage. I've got uh, uh, men and women waiting to go back. They're fine. I know they're fine. They know they're fine. The airline knows they're fine. I can't get them back. 
and it's taking three to six months for transport to review their medicine because there's a bottleneck there. And on its side, transport is woefully underfunded and un underhumaned. They don't have enough doctors. They don't have a, a, a information flow or an infrastructure that actually works because the politicians have not seen fit to put it into place. And so everyone loses. Canadian public loses. My patient loses. And it's very aggravating for me. That's really frustrating for sure. Yeah. I'll answer one other question that you didn't ask me. Okay, go ahead. And I'm coming at it from a different direction. You asked what frustrates me. Um, as an addiction physician, I think one of the things that I find most frustrating practicing addiction medicine is we live in a society that says, if anything is wrong with your life, stick chemicals in your brain. That'll make it better. And that is something that um, I don't mean in any way, shape or form to subtly undermine people who need psychiatric drugs, for instance. If you need an antidepressant, if you have a mood disorder, if you have bipolar disorder, God love you. Take what you need under a psychiatric uh, uh, or expert uh, family practice, practitioner or supervision. Yes, that's fine. But the overall feeling that we're particularly now seeing with cannabis is, hey, you can enhance your life by sticking a wild variety of chemicals into your brain. I work in the dumpster zone of what happens when people pursue that misunderstanding of life and watch them as they struggle up a cliff and sometimes don't make it and die. Addiction kills people. And we're in the middle of what has been miscalled an opioid epidemic. It's really an addiction epidemic. Take opioids away tomorrow and you would just have another drug in their place. So from a medical standpoint, that's what frustrates me the most is confronting a society that just doesn't seem to get it. And um, ha happily, your generation seems to be questioning that. And I'm starting to see some glimmerings of hope from you lot that are basically saying, you know, maybe getting plastered every evening with alcohol is not the best way to proceed about life. Maybe smoking a joint or eating a gummy is not as good as, you know, doing something uh, that's life affirming and does not involve chemically altering my brain. And to that, I say, yes, keep going with that. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that because there's also more resources available for like mental health and discussions and funding put towards that, I think it's making it more accessible for people. And that's also really great to see. So thank you for adding that question. I think that's that was a really important comment. And one last question. So what is the best advice that you could give to our listeners today who are pursuing any field of medicine and maybe even particularly your field? Um. The best advice would not be specific to my field, uh, and it's it's rather ephemeral, so I'm sorry if it sounds like uh, rainbows and unicorns, but what the journey that you're embarking on in medicine is intensely difficult. Um, you are going to need a safe place, and you are going to need this little ironclad box inside yourself uh, with, in, into which you can retreat when you need to. Uh, everyone's safe place, everyone's battery recharger looks different. So it would be facile for me to say, find a life partner you can go through life with. A lot of people don't. And even if they do, that doesn't recharge their batteries. So everyone's solution is unique to them, but you have got to find uh, some place to go to because as we say in the airline industry, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first. It's not a selfish act. If you're unconscious, your passengers die. 
So uh, as a doctor, if you stop functioning, then everyone that you're caring for and about also suffers from that. Um, so find a way to get an oxygen mask on yourself, whatever that looks like. And I know it's vague, but I, I see that as a key rather than this vague comment of work-life balance, work-life balance. What's that? How, how do you do that? Uh, it, it's, it's, I think it's a bromide and too many people toss it off in, in a glib fashion and then expect you to work to 9 PM tonight. Um, that's not really the main thrust. The main thrust is what's your oxygen mask? Where are you getting your oxygen from? Figure that out. What is it that leaves you feeling reinvigorated, refreshed, valued as a human being? It's a place that you take your pain. It's a place that you take some of the angst that you're going to see and the suffering that you're going to see as a doctor and you decompress with that, whether it's a buddy, whether it's a life partner, whether it's an activity, I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't care. Uh, it just has to work for you. Uh, art, music, whatever does it, find it. It's critical. Thank you. That's great advice. And thank you so much for your time and being on the show. It was a pleasure having you here. And it's great to have someone with so much experience and knowledge share their advice and their thoughts. So thank you again. My pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in to the first episode of Medic Map. Like and follow for more. And until next time. Bye, friends.